church this week leading up to Easter is referred to as Holy Week. Sometimes it's called Passion Week. Depending on your faith tradition, you may or may not be familiar with Holy Week. The purpose is to remember and enact the final days of Christ's life. During this week, we are invited to walk where Jesus walked. Let's remember what has happened in this week so far. Go back with me to Sunday, Palm Sunday. As crowds gather to begin the Passover celebration, Jesus enters the city, riding on the back of a donkey, to the praises of those gathered, declaring him as king. On Monday, following the celebration, he retreats to the house of his friend Lazarus. You remember Lazarus. Jesus raised him from the dead. You can imagine Jesus, who knows that his days are few, wants to spend those last few precious moments with his closest friends and disciples. While eating dinner at Lazarus' house, we witness one of the most beautiful displays of love. As Mary opens a bottle of expensive perfume, anoints Jesus' feet, and wipes them with her hair. It is symbolic of his upcoming burial, although we are yet unaware. As the week progresses, we see Jesus begin to struggle with what awaits him. Imagine that you are among his most trusted disciples, who are standing with the crowd at the festival of Passover. On this day, some of the Greeks who are present have asked to see Jesus. When we relay the message to Jesus, he answers by saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. As soon as Jesus utters the, those last words, we hear an audible voice from heaven saying, I have glorified 
glorified it, and I will glorify it again. We can barely comprehend what we just heard. That brings us to today, Wednesday. This day is sometimes referred to as Spy Wednesday because we learn today that there is a traitor among us. Jesus himself says, I tell you, one of you will betray me. This is upsetting news, and we are in disbelief. How could one of his trusted few betray the Son of God? This man that we have journeyed with for three years. The events of this week are an emotional roller coaster. If it has been emotionally stressful for us, how much more so for Jesus, for he knows what lies ahead. Let us remember. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you. Gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. 
Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. After saying this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and declared, Very truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he was speaking. One of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So while reclining next to Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. So when he had dipped the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. After he received the bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, Do quickly what you are going to do. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the common purse, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the festival. Or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the piece of bread, Judas immediately went out, and it was night. gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, 
I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. If you might sing this along with us this time as we, as the body of Christ, all sing together. moment we're going to sing again. Uh, it's, it's something that's happened eight years in a row here in University Chapel during this week. During Holy Week we've sung O Sacred Head Now Wounded. It's sort of a hard song to sing. It's a challenging uh, song I think musically for a congregation to get in on but I hope you'll try and I hope just for a few minutes before we do that you'll be very present to what we're doing. Whatever you're distracted by you'll let go of that for just a minute. And, and be here and do your best to join with us and with Christians all over the world where we try to just for a moment get reverently beneath the cross. I mean, we do follow Jesus as Christians. We, we disagree with all, all sorts of Christians everywhere, different ones of us thinking this and others thinking that. We do life differently. But we do sort of come together on this idea that what we do as people who are Christians is we do get behind Jesus. And especially this time of year, this week, it leads us there. And maybe this week especially, we get here and there's a little more of a sense of, of how this matters to us, a kind of reverence. And we're not always like that with crosses because we wear them, you know, on our earrings and around our necks. And we have crosses hanging on our walls as decorations. And we see them all the times in ch churches. And we just sort of do life with them and we walk by them. But for a moment, if you could... Try to get there with some sense of reverence where you're saying with the church and with people everywhere, this has to do with me and with God's love for me. And that's what we have known together. I want you to know it was a real odd thing for people to see and watch. For Christians began to draw near to the cross in that way where they were saying somehow this is a holy thing. Yeah, crosses were instruments of execution and shame 
and even terror and, and sort of disgust. And so the idea that Christians were getting up next to that in some way, and this was a part of their worship now, and this God who had died on this cross, that was a really strange kind of thing. It'd be a little bit like um, if, you, if you went to a friend today and you, she said, see my new earrings, and you got in close to them and you looked and there were, they were nooses. You would think, what? How, you got nooses on your ears? Or, or you went in someone's home and they said, we just got some new artwork. You want to come see it? And you go in there and there's one of those gurneys and an and IV line, and you realize this is one of those things that they use before they, for, for lethal injection, one of those tables. I think you put that on your wall? That's what people were, that's how they were reacting to the church. You're doing what? You mean what by this? You're standing before this with some kind of reverence? This means something to you? Paul, in fact, said, this is a big problem for a lot of people. He said, it, it, it's sort of a mental stumbling block. In other words, People who thought of God as so almighty and so powerful and so huge and so victorious, how could that God be dead on a cross? How could that God be vulnerable and exposed and weak and hurt? didn't make sense to them. He went on to say, for some, it's, it's, it's even a joke. The idea, you know, the gods are out here doing the, their divine thing, and the idea that any one of them would get down here with us and do our thing with us and be exposed to us and vulnerable to us was just a joke to them. He said it's, it's something that would make them laugh. In fact, I want to show you a picture. This, by the way, is the first piece of artwork depicting the creation that we have, early first century, and it's sort of a political cartoon. It's graffiti that uh, was on a wall that we have from the early second century, and it says uh, something like, Alex Amos worships his God. So this is some sort of political figure, and they're making fun of him because you see the donkey's head, the jackass head on the figure there on the cross. For so many, it was like, that's just ridiculous. And yet Christians were saying, here's what we know of God now in Christ, that he emptied himself, that this is a God who pours himself out in humility unto death, and we're drawn to it, and especially during these days, we're reverently drawn to it. We come and stand there, and we call it, we've always called it the Paschal Mystery. It's not like we can get it and wrap it up, but we come here and we stand on our best moments and in our holiest moments. And we know this somehow is for us, and this is God somehow with us, and this is God somehow suffering because of us. And we try to take that in. We try to stand there looking at something that's pretty horrible, even for those of us who have love for this, and say somehow this horrible thing is the best thing, where God in Christ is bearing something. Not just that it was born once, but God in Christ is bearing something. Before we sing, I want to show you one more picture that I think is going to help us understand this. This is a, a painting called the Eisenheimer Altarpiece. It was painted by uh, Matthias Grunewald in the early 16th century. What I want you to know about it is that he painted it for a bunch of hermits uh, who were part of uh, St. Anthony's movement. This particular monastic group, their job was, get this, to minister to the victims of the Black Plague. Black Plague was this pandemic 
that probably killed about 50% of the population of Europe. Europe didn't recover for a century and a half. It was horrible. It was terrible. Sores, oozing, contagious. It was just horrible. It went on for, for uh, several centuries. What you can't see in this picture, if you were standing before the painting, you would probably see it, particularly you would know if you were from that century, you would know exactly what the artist has done because artists, painters, they, they painted sermons, right? So he's trying to say something. What you can't see in that picture is that Jesus is not only dying from crucifixion, but he has the black plague. There are sores, and his skin is green, and they're oozing. And, and Matthias Grunewald is saying to us what I think the gospel says to us is, is that the death of Jesus, the, the cross is not something that just took place once in 33 A.D. God entered into time and suffered a whole lot and now God is over here and God is able to say, I've been there and done that. That's not good Christian theology. That God somehow can stand here and say, I really know how it feels to suffer. I just want you to know that because you know the cross. No. What we believe is that God is always bearing the sin of the world. What you see in Christ in the moment of crucifixion is the way God's heart is always breaking. But He's underneath all the time. So in other words, two months ago when there was an earthquake in Haiti and there was rubble everywhere, God was beneath every pile. And every time the world is torn apart, every life that's torn apart, God is vulnerable to this. That's the message of the gospel. God comes as a child, this infant human being that is completely vulnerable to the creation and is all the time because this is the way love is, right? Any one of you love somebody, deeply love somebody that could stand at a distance and know that they're suffering and say, I'm really not a part of that, doesn't, doesn't bother me, doesn't affect me, that's impossible. You know that deeply already. How could God be doing anything other than getting under everything that you bear? I don't know what that is this day for you. What's going on in your life? What relationship is strained? What family life may be crumbling? What thing is scaring you? What sin is on top of you or within you? But what we believe we have known in Christ is that God is a God who bears it eternally in order to redeem it. This weak, this vulnerable, this suffering God comes among us. And to us it is the power of salvation. We're going to sing, O sacred head, listen to the language, now wounded. And I hope as you sing, you might have some sense of your own life and what's taking place and your own need and how it is that God is joining you there and redeeming you by that, right?
there is a traitor among us. Don't forget this week. Don't forget this week.